Let me just pray. Let's see what God wants to say to us. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're a God who reveals himself to us. You've done it in a way that we can... This Bible is just a treasure trove. So vast that we'll never fully get to the bottom of it in our own short lives. But one day we'll know it to the full. So I just pray, even just in this next half hour or so, I just pray that you'll speak to us, each one of us, how each one of us needs to be spoken to. You'll minister to us, you'll reveal things to us, you'll open our eyes to things, you'll get us excited about you in a way that perhaps hasn't happened before. Each one of us, we humbly invite you to come and speak to us this morning through your amazing word. So thank you, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, have you ever had that moment when you're out swimming, far out in the sea, out in the ocean, and you suddenly realise how much of a gap there is beneath your feet, and you suddenly feel very, very small. You also start wondering how many amazingly large invisible tentacles are heading your way, or what's under there beneath you. But it feels a bit scary, doesn't it, sometimes? You ever had that? Or perhaps when you're, I don't know, looking out the horizon, you see how vast the planet was. Perhaps if you're up really high, you can see the curvature of the Earth. Or if you're standing at the foot of a mountain, you just realise... That's one lump of rock, and I'm this big. Or perhaps, even more so, if you've laid on your back at night, looking out on a cloudless night, and you've looked at the stars, and you've seen those constellations, and you realise how far away they are, how many they are. There's only about 5,000 visible to the naked eye at any given time. But each one of those represents billions that we can't see with the naked eye. And suddenly you feel very, very small. And even the light we're seeing from those stars is from the past, not from now. It's from history. Some of those stars will actually already be dead that you're looking at. And you suddenly realise in this mammoth universe, and I'm flanked on either side by eternity, have you ever thought, I'm just a speck? I'm just here for a breath. Have you felt that? Is it just me being weird and philosophical? No, it's other people as well. It's not just Steve... Eating funny mushrooms or anything. Good. I don't. I don't. Well, on the one hand, that is true. We are just a speck and we are just here for a breath. But, and it also, that also helps put our worries and our fantasies in a whole different perspective sometimes, doesn't it? The things we worry about. But on the other hand, we need to realise that you and I, we are considered to be far more than just a moat of dust by the person who made us. We need to remember that. And... There's a bit of a cliche, I suppose, life is a miracle. It's the kind of thing you can sometimes find on a sentimental greetings card. But it's very true. Life is a miracle. And that's something I want to look at this morning. There's something in it we can't dismiss. Can you just have the slide up, please, Janet? I want to look at two things this morning. Just for a bit of a change, we, we finished our relational mission series, haven't we? We've been through that for a few weeks. We're going to start a new series in September, looking at the Book of Romans, which will take us quite a while, I think. So in the meantime, we're just going to have a few Sundays, just doing something different each time. And today, I just want to have a, it's going to have a bit of a different vibe this morning. It's going to be a lot of science this morning. just going to marvel at what's around us, really. But I just want us to recognise the miracle of physical life. You and me being here talking about this. Let's, let's just marvel at the miracle of physical life, but then also, I don't want it to leave it there. I want us to marvel at the, the miracle of spiritual life as well. Just look at those two things this morning. So... First of all, physical life. Let's look at that for a bit. Freddie Mercury once sang, 
Every drop of rain that falls in Sahara says it all. It's a miracle. Yeah? You know this song? All creations, great and small, the Golden Gate and the Taj Mahal, it's a miracle. Test tube babies being born, mothers, fathers dead and gone, it's a miracle. He recognized that life on this planet is something to be marveled at. And actually the things that we can do, they're just gifts, aren't we? It's not our ingenuity, ultimately, that it lands on. So let's look at Job chapter 12. Job himself had this revelation. He recognized there's something far greater going on. We can take what's around us for granted so often. And in Job chapter 12, this is a long story of Job. He's, he faces calamities. Read the story for yourself. But there's, there are these moments when he just suddenly realizes, I'm nothing, but there is a good God in and around all this. And he just, he's talking to his friends who are coming out with a load of old claptrap half the time. But he says to them, Job chapter 12, verse 7, Ask the beasts, and they will teach you. The birds of the heavens, and they will tell you. Or the bushes of the earth, they will teach you. And the fish of the sea will declare to you. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Job knew this didn't happen by accident. Job knew that there is a good creator behind it all. And this planet is something to marvel at. It's beautiful in its complexity, isn't it? All the processes and the systems of the climates, the seasons, the gulf streams, the water cycle, the protective atmosphere, the food chains. There's lots to marvel at and scientists still haven't got to the bottom of all of it, have they? But we need to recognise there was something far greater at play behind it. Acts chapter 17, Paul says, He, God himself, gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. There's a creator behind it. There's a designer at work. And Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the wisest man on the planet who ever lived, King Solomon. He says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before the silver cord is snapped and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Remember your creator. So don't lose sight of that. Because you see, the more science unearths the majesty of what's occurring around us, and in us, in fact. Human body is quite something, isn't it? The more we discover about it, the more we discover the utter fragility of what it all means. That's why Solomon talks about that silver cord that we can cut at any moment. Our life is just but a thread. And it's in God's hands. So what I want to do, just for the next few minutes, is just look at quite what it takes for life to exist on this planet in the first place. And just marvel at it. Don't worry about remembering all the facts and figures I'm going to give you. This will be recorded. It'll end up on the website if you want to hear it again. But just marvel and wonder at our amazing God, okay? Firstly, the universe itself. For the universe to even sustain life, for life to be able to exist in this universe, there are 15 properties that are constant. They never change. And if they did life would not be able to exist in this universe, okay? Some, some, some examples are like strong and weak nuclear forces. <coughs> Excuse me. Strong nuclear forces stop atoms from falling apart. It keeps them together, okay? Weak nuclear forces allows them to interact with each other and different elements to interact with each other. Gravity. Gravity varies from one body to another. If you're on another planet, you may weigh more or less, but gravity is a constant that decides how much less or how much more according to the size of that planet. Gravity itself is a constant. Speed of light never changes. 
Speed of light is always the same. There's 15 of these, and if any one of them should change within a hair's breadth, life cannot exist. It's not life will be different. Life cannot exist if they're even slightly different. Any, any one of those. One out of the 15 was different, we would not be here. It's as simple as that. They have to be within such a narrow range that the chances of that happening across the board are so tiny, it's statistically negligible. We shouldn't be here. Well, that's for the universe to be able to sustain life. In fact, the universe shouldn't even exist. The chances of the universe actually being able to exist is even more statistically negligible. And the best way of describing it there's an a, uh, astrophysicist at Caltech called Hugh Ross, and he uses this illustration to describe the chances of us being here. Okay? So close your eyes for a minute. He, he uses the United States just because of its size. We, we, I'm sure you've got enough of an understanding of the map of the United States, even however vague it might be. Just picture America. Okay? And he obviously is American, so he uses dimes in his illustration. We'll use five Ps because they're about the same size. Okay? Now, if you zoom in on Manhattan, New York City, up near the top right, just on New York City, we are going to cover New York City with five Ps. No gaps. Five Ps right across Manhattan Island, okay? But don't stop there. Keep laying more out. No gaps. Keep going right across New York State. And they keep spreading them right up into the top right, up into New England, and then down the Atlantic seaboard, all the way down to Florida, down to Disneyland, Disney World, and Cape Canaveral, and all the way down to Miami. And then you keep heading left, head west, out towards Kentucky and Tennessee, and Chicago up the top there, and keep going right up to Seattle, up in the top left. All these five Ps, millions and billions of five Ps. And all the way down to the bottom left, down to California, Los Angeles. Have you got all of the United States of America covered in five Ps now. It's quite a few, yeah? Now do another layer. You've got two layers of five Ps with no gaps right across the USA. Now do another layer. And another layer. And again, and again, until the pile that covers the United States of America reaches the moon. 250,000 miles high, okay? It's a big pile, isn't it, of five Ps. Do that a billion times, as you do. And while you're doing that, make sure that one 5P you've painted red and hidden in one of those piles, one of those billion piles, the width and breadth of the United States of America and 250,000 miles high. There's one 5P amongst all of those, okay? And then you blindfold one of your friends and tell them to pick out that red-painted 5P. What are the chances? That is the chance of the universe even existing in the first place, because of properties that are required for it to be able to do so. That's quite fragile, isn't it? And yet, you and I are standing here talking about it. It's happened. We should not be here. That's just the universe. Okay, that universe exists. It's possible for life to exist here. But even within that, there's still a possibility of life. doesn't mean it's going to happen. However, here we are. Let's just look at our planet and the chances of life existing on our planet. Have you heard the phrase Goldilocks planet? Have you come across that before? Our planet is a Goldilocks planet. You remember the story Goldilocks and the three bears and the porridge, isn't, she doesn't like it too hot or too cold, it's got to be just right. The chairs, are, was it too high or too small? One's just right. The bed's too hard, too soft, one's just right. Our planet is just right for life to exist. For example, the size of our planet, it's not too big. 
If our planet was any bigger, gravity would be greater, and poisonous gases like methane and ammonia would sink, and we would not be able to live on this planet. Now, some people go, oh, yeah, but human life would have evolved to be able to breathe methane and ammonia instead of oxygen. No, it's been proven that life is not, cannot coexist with large quantities of methane and ammonia. It's impossible. If our planet was any bigger, the methane and ammonia on this planet would sink and we would not be able to survive. But if it was even slightly smaller, gravity would be less and water vapour would evaporate. Water would lift and evaporate and we need water. We would die without it. We are 75% water, each of us. If the planet was slightly too big, we'd have poisonous gases, we would not be able to breathe. If it's slightly too small, our water would disappear, we would not be able to live here. The planet is just the right size. I don't want to talk about molecular weights. If you're into science, go and look up the molecular weights of methane, ammonia, and water, and you discover that margin of it being not too big and not too small, and those molecular weights are so close to each other for them to just be where they need to be. Look up those numbers. You'll be surprised. This planet is just the right size. It's a Goldilocks planet. But it's the speed, the way it spins, is just right as well. It's not too fast. If the planet spun slightly faster, we'd have extremely high winds that would just destroy the environment and would be unlivable. But if it was slightly too slow, our nights and our days would be longer. Our nights would become dangerously cold and our days would become dangerously hot. We would not be able to live here. It's just right. What's the biggest planet in our solar system? Jupiter. Very good. Jupiter is the largest planet in our solar system. Do you know it helps us out and it enables us to live here? Do you know this? It's like a doorman. It's a bouncer in the solar system. You're not coming in. It's so large, its gravity is so big, it draws dangerous comets from their path that might be heading our way and draws them to itself. It attracts them its way. And the good thing is, either it deflects them on another path away from us so we don't, we don't get hit, or even if they should pummel into it, it's a gas giant, it's not solid, so they go right through. So it never gets damaged, so it can keep doing its job. How cold is that? We've got, a we've got a bouncer, we've got a doorman in the solar system that keeps us safe. You're not coming in, you're not on the list. And one more thing, the moon. Again, the moon is just the right size. Do you know the moon causes our tides? Do you know this? As its own gravity, as, it's, as it orbits around us, it pulls the water and creates our tides. If it was any bigger, it would create bigger tides. So much so that if it was even slightly bigger, we'd have 100-foot waves that would just be destroying, destroying the planet around us. And if it was even slightly smaller, we'd have smaller tides, and coastal seawater would not be able to replenish and cleanse like it needs to do and just become building up with poison. The moon helps us live here. There's more about the Earth's rotational axis and all this kind of stuff about seasons. and Our planet and everything around it is just right for life to be able to exist here in the first place. One more thing on physical life. In the 1960s, scientists like Carl, Carl Sagan is quite famous. They found two characteristics that are required for life to exist on another planet. Okay? And they concluded, if there's only two characteristics that are required for a planet to sustain life, and you look at how many planets there are in the universe, chances of there being other life forms out there are pretty high. And it's in about that time people got excited about looking for extraterrestrial life. That's where it all kind of started and then entered into the books and films and so on. Well, all well and good. That makes sense. Only two characteristics. What are the chances? Probably quite high. 
in, the in 40 years since then, up until 2001, they actually discovered there are 150 characteristics required for life to exist on any planet. So much so, therefore, for a planet to sustain life, the odds of any planet being able to do so are almost negligible. The more they discover, the more they realise the chances of there being life elsewhere are shrinking every time. And less and less. It's all about us. The chances of any planet sustaining life in this universe are so negligible, it's almost not bearing thinking about. And yet, here we are. The miracle of human life is such that we should not be here. And yet we are. I think there's just something to marvel at. That's something to appreciate when I get up in the morning. When I moan that the dustbin have put my bin in the wrong place. Swaps it with the neighbours. I mean, seriously. He's got number 30 and I've got number 20. Seriously, you're here. Get excited. You shouldn't be. You're here. But I could just leave it there and it would just be a really interesting lecture, wouldn't it? We could, we'd go home tickled, but we need to marvel at the one who's behind it all, don't we? If a miracle is about being an extraordinary event in this universe that breaks the law, rules of physical laws or breaks possibilities. That's what a miracle is really, isn't it? It's an extraordinary event in an otherwise ordinary existence. Then the miracles aren't just that you or I are alive. That is a miracle. But it's not even the miracles within our life, like healings, for example. They're miracles. Money miracles, whatever it might be. There's plenty of different types of miracles. It shouldn't just stop there. We need to appreciate that arguably the greatest miracle of all is salvation. We must never lose sight of that. If you here have placed your trust in Jesus Christ and you are his forever, you are a walking miracle. Not just because you were born and because you are breathing, because you are alive in Christ. That is a walking miracle. I'll explain. Ephesians chapter 2. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. It's about halfway through your New Testament. One of Paul's letters to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 2, one of my favourite passages, and I'm sure a lot of yours as well. As Ephesians chapter 2 says that while we may be physically alive, the Bible explains that we are all, by default, dead in our sins. You might be physically alive, but you're spiritually dead. Let's have a look at this. Ephesians 2, from the beginning. It says, and you, he's speaking to believers now. But it says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So what Paul is saying is, is outside of a relationship with God, we are effectively dead we might be walking might be breathing we might be eating we might be having babies we might be building cities we might even perhaps be marvelling at the fact of us being here in the first place but spiritually if it's just that we are dead as a human race we are not just in the doghouse for being naughty we're not in the doghouse we're in the morgue that's what it says you ever been in a graveyard? I'm sure you have. Not a lot going on there, is there? 
I've been in plenty of morgues in my life. I used to be a paramedic for 20 odd years. I've taken lots of ex-people, shall we say, to the mortuary. I've seen those bodies on the slabs. I've seen those bodies in the fridges. And I can assure you that it ain't a place for a party. Dead people don't do much, do they? And the concept of us being guilty for our wrongdoings, for our sins, and needing to ask forgiveness, while it is true, that is just a slice of what it means to be a sinner and needing Jesus. Sometimes the Christian faith is about that. You've been naughty, you need forgiveness from God, repent and you'll be all right. That's just a slice of the gospel. It's true, but if that was the case, we would just be in the doghouse, on the naughty step, where you can whimper and say sorry. But it's so much more than that. The Bible says it's so much worse than that. As a human race, we're dead, we're separated. But he says in um, what, verse 2, this is what you're like. By default, by human nature, you are following the course of this world. It's almost like you're acting on instincts. You don't know better. Just going along with the, going with the flow, isn't it? Just do, do the best you can with what you've got. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. There is a spiritual realm at work as well, of course. And then carrying on in verse 3, it says you're carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. You're just following desires, lusts, better ideas, just trying to make the most of it. You don't know what, you're just acting on urges or temptations or instincts. Carrying out the uh, desires of the body and the mind, living in the passions of our flesh. Have you ever noticed urges in you, temptations? desires that you can't resist you ever felt that fight in you things you want to do that you know you shouldn't do will be harmful to you will be harmful to others and yet you give in and do it anyway I'm not the only one am I no they're in there and without Christ at work in you you don't know better you're just doing the best you can and people try to be nice people try to be kind but that is always there that fight is always there you're just doing the best you can with what you've got and therefore that means we will always ultimately get it wrong and we're stuck in a cycle. Human history has proved that time and time again, isn't it? We can't get ourselves out of our mess. Death, you see, the word death just means separation. We talk about, see, if somebody died young, they were taken from us. They were taken too soon. They were taken away. They've gone. You can't have that relationship with that person anymore. That's what death actually means. It's separation. And the consequence of our heart's selfishness at a spiritual level is... The consequence of that is an alienation of the soul from God. That's what it means to be spiritually dead. There is a permanent brokenness in us as a human race and a dislocation in our relationship with God that we cannot fix. We're dead. In a universe that shouldn't even allow our existence in the first place, we are still, as a human race, doomed because of what's occurring in us. We've all got it. We don't learn it. It's there. You don't teach your child to be good. Oh, don't teach your child to be naughty. You have to teach them to be good. It's already there. Something I've noticed about dead people, they can't do much about being dead. I've noticed that. They can't decide to live. They can't decide to get out of the coffin. They can't decide to get off the ambulance trolley. And being spiritually dead means you can't decide to be in a relationship with someone you haven't met. If you don't know God yet, you can't decide to make that happen. 
So if you're a Christian here, look back on your story of how you came to meet with God. Did you make it happen? Did you just decide? Or were your eyes opened? Was your head turned? Did you sense your, like this breath entering you and filling your lungs and waking you up to the truth of this amazing God? Yeah? Every time any Christian looks back to see how they became a Christian, they will always find he's the one who did the reviving. At the time, you think you're doing the searching. I'm knocking on the door. I'm, I'm looking for him. I found Jesus. But then you look back and you realize he got you there. He stirred those questions in your heart. He guided you through certain circumstances. He put, put certain people in your path. Every time you look back, you think, that was him at work before I knew him. Isn't it amazing? So therefore, let's go to verse 4 in Ephesians 2. The biggest bat in the world. Verse but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses he made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved it's undeserved favour and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus here we see creator breathing new life into dead men and women How cool is that? As much as physical life is exciting and amazing to study, to watch, to marvel at and to enjoy, there's a limit. It's still not life to the full, is it? Because we're spiritually dead and we're relying on our own instincts. But suddenly you realise there is a God who breathes new life into dead people. He's walking through the graveyard going, you, come with me. You, you're mine. He breathes new life into us. God, in all his immense, scary power, he is so kind. He is so good. Our very existence hangs on a thread. Is that silver cord again? He lets us wake up every morning. You woke up this morning because he let you. Take a breath. And out. He just let you do that. Do another one. Go on. Thank you, Lord. He let you do that. He lets us wake up every morning. And even when we as a human race have so royally screwed up this precious jaw-dropping gift, in his goodness, he has made a way for us to live again life to the full. He has made a way through his son Jesus to live again the way he intended, knowing him. This Jesus, he stood in our place. His son He came to this planet, his eternal God, always has been, never created, came and entered, put on a suit of flesh, lived the perfect life, walked among us. And then he stood in our place on that cross. He suffered that separation, that death in our place. The spotless one substituted for the sinless ones. He stood in that place for you and for me. He died so we don't have to. And he rose again in victory on the third day over sin and death, beating death once and for all so that we might live forever with him, knowing him forever and never, never running out of more to know about him. And in that way, we'd no longer be alienated from this good God. We get restored from death to life. It's about living life to the full. It's about living a life that is a miracle, living a life that is full of miracles. We should expect them. He's a God working in and through his people. About living a life lived to his glory. 
his way. Not following the course of the world, but following his guidance, following his compass. Let's just do one, one more thing just to finish. I'm just going to pray in a minute. I'm going to leave it there. Just look at your hands for a minute. Put your hands in front of you. Just look at these. Turn them around. Wiggle your fingers. Look at those contours. Maybe warts. <laughs> Blisters. Depends how handy you are. And those bones that are overlapped with muscle and tendon and ligament and skin. Look at the back of them. Look at those hairs in those little pores. You clench your fists. Stick your fingers out. Wriggle your thumbs. These are amazing biological pieces of machinery, aren't they? Look what he's done. Look what he's done. He's done that. That's just a tiny part of his creation. Look at your fingerprints. No one on this planet has those fingerprints other than you. And no one ever has done, no one ever will in history. Those are completely unique. That's your creator at work. Isn't that miraculous? But then as we look at these hands, we realise that we are wonderfully and fearfully made. We need to appreciate that more and more, don't we? Yeah, on that note, something I learnt last week, there we go. The Bible says that the hairs on our head are numbered, yeah? That's what Jesus says. Even the hairs on your head are numbered. Someone pointed out to me last week, that's not just that he knows how many there are on your head. Five, that, well, for me, three. But not, not even that at the moment. I had a shave. It's not just that he knows the total number of hairs on your head. If when you're brushing your hair and one falls out, he knows that's number... 3,476 that fell on the floor. They're numbered. He knows each of your hairs. Isn't that amazing? This is the God who has made you wonderfully and fearfully. And he has made a way for you to know him. And as you're looking at your hands, just recognize that by his goodness, he holds us in his. The creator God knows you by name, holds you in his hands, and as a believer, Jesus says, no one can snatch you from my Father's hands. Ever. And when no one can snatch you from the Father's hands, that includes you. You can't snatch yourself out of his hands either. If you're his, you're his forever. If you don't know him today, can I urge you, don't let be today when you walk away thinking, oh, I'll think about that. Because you don't know how many more breaths you've got. You don't know if you're going to wake up in the morning. You don't know what's around the corner. Now is the time to turn to him and say, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. You died and rose again for me. I am just a sinner. It's like Isaiah standing before Jesus on the throne. Isaiah 6, he said, I am just a man of unclean lips amongst a people of unclean lips. I should be dead. And yet God in his goodness purifies him and sends him on mission. It's the same for you today. If you don't know him, just recognise who you are, recognise who he is, and cry out to him. Don't put it off any longer. You don't know how many more breaths you've got. Let me just pray. Lord, we celebrate you. Lord, we thank you so much for this gift of life. We thank you that we get to enjoy 
each other. We thank you. We get to enjoy this amazing planet. We get to enjoy the birds and the animals and the food and the children. And Lord, it's just beautiful. The sunsets, the rainbows, the rain and the sun. Lord, we thank you that we get to enjoy the stars and the planets and maybe one day more of us will get out there to look at more. But Lord, above all things, we thank you that you have made yourself known to us, your people, through your son Jesus. We thank you that you raise dead people to life. We thank you that you breathe new life into us. Those of us that are yours, Holy Spirit is in us. We are hearing about him earlier. Holy Spirit in us, breathing new life in us, breathing new life through us, working through us, giving us strength. We thank you and we celebrate you. And Lord, as we wake up tomorrow morning, may the first thought in our minds be, thank you. And let that be the next thought on Tuesday, first thing, and on Wednesday. We just wake up with a full appreciation that you've got something for us. Because if you've woken me up this morning, you've got something for me to do today. Lord, help us to appreciate that. Lord, if there's anybody here who doesn't know you, even right now, they just sense that tug in their heart. Just pray they'll just sense that nudge of you speaking to them. Perhaps you're hearing a whisper. You're just sensing a tug. That's Holy Spirit at work in you, calling you to him. Come and speak to me. I'd love to speak with you afterwards to pray with you. But Lord, we give these things up to you. We celebrate you. And even as we just finish for teas and coffees now, welcome the kids back. Lord, we just pray that uh, we won't ever lose sight of the miracle of life, both physical but also spiritual. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.